Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, what's up, Ocean Hills? Good to be together this Sunday or whatever day you are tuning in and listening or watching. I just want to uh, welcome you to this space where we are welcoming you into experiencing the living God. And uh, our prayer for you this morning is that you would get a taste of how good God is. And that's going to come through music. That's going to come through the message this morning. And so, I just want you to know that, that right here, right now, we're praying that your heart would be open, that God would speak to you, and you would be responsive to what he is speaking into your life through his word today. I want to give a, a quick shout out to those of you, this whole last year of COVID, here we are, and so many of you, I want to affirm your faithfulness in giving, your generosity, your faithfulness in giving has resulted in fruitfulness in the hearts and lives of people, whether it be children or teenagers or young adults, whether it be young couples and families or even old people like me and older. God's word and God's grace and this community is reaching and touching people and our prayers are being answered and your sacrifices and generosity are making a difference, not only touching people, but literally transforming people's families, and people's hearts and minds. So God bless you. Thank you. And uh, I just want to give a quick challenge, too, to say, if you're not a recurring giver, you can jump on our push pay, jump on our app, and uh, we want to encourage you. It helps us as a, as a board and a finance team to budget uh, in a healthy way rather than guessing. So, And it's also a great spiritual practice to be a faithful, committed giver. So I might just be Nudging a few of you, maybe that's your next step of obedience and following Jesus is to become a recurring giver to the mission and the work of Jesus Christ. So thank you for that. I, um, I want to draw our attention to what's happening really quickly here in our country. I don't know about you, but it does, right? What's happening back in Minnesota feels fragile. It feels like a tinderbox. Uh, of course, uh, all of us have all of these mixed emotions. There's confusion, there's heartbreak, there's agony, there's pain. Um, and so when we think about what is happening, I just wrote this in my notes that um, I feel, and I know you do too, I feel for everybody involved, whether it be, you know, Dante Wright's family and uh, kind of the aftermath of his son being killed but also Kim Potter, the police officer, and her family. And uh, all, I'm just, it's messy. It's, it's hard. And I don't know the right response, except I want to have us turn to God. And it's not just that situation. Then we've got the Derek Chauvin trial, and that verdict's going to come out here uh, soon. 
and everybody involved with the George Floyd and the family and all of it. Could we just take a moment and, and pray? And I want to, I just want to proclaim Psalm 62 over us as I pray. Let's pray together. We wait quietly before God, for our victory comes from him. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our fortress, where we will never be shaken. And Lord, it feels right now like there's uh, an emotional, physical earthquake that's happening back in Minnesota in our country that threatens to just really shake up our country. And again, I pray that the Spirit of God would be unleashed all over that region of our country. I know that in Scripture it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind or of self-control. I proclaim that over your people in this land today, that your people would, would be about your love and using our power to bring about goodness and fairness in the land, and that we would use our minds and self-control. So we proclaim peace. We proclaim understanding. Give us deeper understanding of the, the complications of all of these issues around race. And we pray for healing of our land. Oh God, where would we turn except to you? So right today, we turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let me take this opportunity, and thank you for praying with me there. But um, we're starting a new group that's going to be led by Jeff Atlas and Forrest Moore. I'm just going to read it. It's called the, uh, the Black Indigenous People of Color. That's who it's for. It's for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, the BIPOC group, B-I-P-O-C. It meets every other Thursday at 7 p.m., the next one is on April 22nd, Thursday. So let me just read uh, what they, they gave me. It says, if you're a person of color and want a place to be yourself and say what's on your mind, this is for you. This group is birthed and run by people of Ocean Hills. Forrest Morris, the leader, Jeff Atlas, the co-leader. The group is open, and even if you can't make it every time, you're still welcome. It meets twice a month, Thursday, 7 p.m., you can sign up under the Race and Discipleship page on the website or under Connect, Grow, and Serve. Let me also say that Sarah Sue Waddell, who's part of our church family, she's offering a class. It's called Raising White Children to be Culturally Sensitive. And it's meeting uh, starting this Wednesday at 8 p.m. One more thing. People can check out our new Race and Discipleship part of the website to learn more. This ministry was created by and for our church family to have a safe space to explore these difficult and uncomfortable issues around race and equality. It's a nonpartisan group, and uh, they're looking at Scripture together. They're looking at how do we pay attention to what the Word of God says and letting His voice be the loudest voice that shapes how we think about things, our attitudes, but also how we respond, our actions, and our next step. So I'm grateful to God how he's raised up this team and these leaders. Um, and they would say, 
they don't have it all figured out, but we want to create a space where conversation can happen. So take an exhale, and we're going to jump into the message, and then we're going to have it followed by some worship music uh, today. We're going to throw up a painting right now. It's Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And I had the privilege to spend actually a prolonged uh, period of time in front of this painting. It's in St. Petersburg, Russia at the Hermitage. And uh, I was there about a year and a half ago with my wife and my dad and his wife. And it was so powerful to see this piece of art that hangs in, that in the museum there at the Hermitage. Of course, if you're not familiar with it, it depicts the story of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son story. It's a story of a loving father and his two lost sons. The destructive self-centeredness of the younger son and the bitterness of the rule-following older son. And what Jesus is saying in the parable is that both sons have lost their way. Both of these sons are lost. And we're starting a brand new series today on the prodigal son, on Luke chapter 15. Jesus actually tells three stories. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost sons. And we're going to spend the next, oh, I think it's four weeks or so, looking at this parable in Luke chapter 15, a deep dive into this. I'm going to start today with just the first two verses. It's even before we get to the story. We're going to look at the audience. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. We read this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. So, Jesus told them this story, dot, dot, dot. And he goes on to talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Tim Keller has written a fabulous book on this parable. It's called Prodigal God. You're going to want to get that and read it. But in the first chapter, he tells us that the original listeners of this story, the original listeners who Jesus was speaking to and telling this story to, he says, they were not melted into tears by this parable, but rather they were thunderstruck, offended, and infuriated. When was the last time you responded to the teaching or words of Jesus or the teaching and words of a sermon about Jesus that infuriated you, that offended you, that poked into an area of your life that exposed you. That's why I said, buckle up. You might just see yourself in this message. And I know your family might see you in this message. So are we ready? Uh, let's go back to that Rembrandt painting of this story. I want you to notice as you look at the painting, the younger brother, he's in the light, but look at his posture. He's kneeling in front of Jesus. He's got a spirit of repentance, of humility, of turning towards Jesus. And that 
brings him into the light, according to Rembrandt's interpretation, right? And then in the dark, you see the resentful, distant, and distance of the older brother on the right. Now, here's what Henry Nowen writes in his book, Return of the Prodigal. He says, I came to see Rembrandt's prodigal son painting as somehow my personal painting. The painting that contained not only the heart of the story that God wants to tell me, but also the heart of the story that I want to tell to God and God's people. All of the gospel is there. All of my life is there. And all of the lives of my friends is there. This painting, this parable, it's for you. It's for me. Now, I want you to notice, go back to that painting. I want you to notice that there are two other characters in the shadows of this painting, in the dark. And many experts believe that one of the characters is Rembrandt himself. He's the one sitting down. He put himself in the painting. But there's another character in the back shadows. And uh, who is this character? Who is this one uh, in the back behind Jesus? Now, I want you to imagine with me. I'm taking a little uh, liberty here, interpretive liberty here. Uh, the one in the back. I want you to imagine with me the one in the back is the middle son. There's a younger son and an older son. This one in the back is the middle son in this story. He's the one that Jesus never mentioned when Jesus told this story. But like his two brothers, this middle son is also lost. He's also lost. And he's also very much alive in the church today. Let me tell you about him. I'm going to just spend the next few minutes describing this middle son. While the younger son is off squandering all of his wealth and money and wild living, the older son is back home following all the rules with a chip on his shoulder. We find the middle son. He's still at home, and his name. Let me tell you his name. His name's Luke. Now, I'll tell you why later. You'll figure it out, but I'll, I'll explain that later. Let me tell you about Luke. Luke's a good dude, a good son. He's a well-loved son. He's a responsible son, and he's a believer in God. In fact, you know, he loves his father. He spends seven minutes every morning in the study with his cup of coffee, and his father. They get seven minutes together every morning, most mornings at least, you know. But, you know, there is something about that time. It always feels a little hurried. Luke feels a little distracted because he's anxious to get on top of his emails, his voicemails, his Slack, his things. He, he's like his day is getting going, so he wants to spend time with his father, but he also has this kind of divided heart where he also wants to get into his day. But he also, if he were to be honest, and you got a peek into his life, he also spends a little time taking a peek at ESPN and Wall Street Journal and a few other sites. 
So at work, what, what's, what's Luke like at work? Well, he's well-liked, he's well-respected, he's very successful in his craft. I mean, he lives here in Santa Barbara, right? And the Santa Barbara lifestyle, it's not inexpensive, right? And he wants to, you know, be able to afford to live here. But what he finds is he finds himself spending more than he makes oftentimes. His expenses often surpass his income. So he's often thinking about a side hustle. How, how can I find another stream of revenue to live here, right? Uh, at home, Luke loves his family. Oh my gosh, this guy, Luke is a family man. I mean, he loves his wife. He loves, he's got two uh, boys and uh, he takes pride. He, he goes to every game. He has not missed one soccer game that uh, his sons have played. In fact, Luke would tell you he hasn't missed a, but maybe one or two soccer practices. He loves both to go to the games and to be this loyal, devoted father. He didn't want to miss a moment, so he goes to the practices too. But what that means is between work and kids and this, he doesn't have a lot of kind of best energy to give to his marriage. And so that kind of suffers. It's not like they're getting divorced. Don't get me wrong. They're not getting divorced, but it's not what it could be, and it feels maybe thin. The relationship doesn't feel as close and robust and fun and together and us. It feels like married singles a little bit, like business partners running the family business. Let me go on about Luke. You know, when it comes to his extended family, he loves his younger brother. He's concerned about him. He prays for him that he'll come home. Uh, he fears that he might, you know, get in trouble or uh, get injured or just not be safe. Uh, as for his older brother, you know, honestly, Luke kind of avoids him, kind of ignores him. He's like, Oh my gosh, my older brother's always kind of nagging me to be more responsible, to help with the extended family projects and responsibilities and chores. And Luke's going, dude, I'm, I'm jammed up, man. I got, I got a busy life. I got a full life. I don't, I don't, I love our family, but I just don't have time to contribute in the way that you want me to. You know, Sunday is a family day in this family. Uh, they have a family dinner at the family estate, the family compound, and you know what? Luke loves it. Oh my gosh, does he love Sunday family dinner or what? It's just one of his favorite things. But he can only make it once or twice a month. That's one of the challenges for him because it conflicts with his marathon training. You see, I forgot to tell you, Luke loves marathons and uh, this next year, he's training for the Jerusalem Marathon. And so, you know, um, I guess his family might describe Luke as more of a consumer of the family rather than a contributor to the family. But I'll tell you what, his dad, the father, he's not afraid to keep asking Luke to serve, to help out, to sacrifice uh, to make a contribution to and for the extended family. Although I have to say, 
everybody else in the family, the in-laws and everybody, they like roll their eyes and they're like, you know what? Good luck. Luke's just always been that way. Always been kind of too busy for the family. Always jammed up doing important things, but never really available. So when Luke's younger brother finally returned home, I, I don't know if I mentioned he did return home. And it's in the story in Luke 15. But his father was like, we're going to throw this amazing, humongous party, man. We're going to kill the fattened calf, get the robe, get the ring, the family, this, the that. And uh, Luke's dad says, hey, Luke, can you show up early to help, help out? we got to get this party set up. And Luke was like, I'll try and be there. I'm not going to make any promises. I'll try and be there. Well, fast forward. Luke showed up about 15 minutes after the party started, and he was fully engaged. Loved, oh, Luke loves a party. I mean, and he was talking to everybody and uh, fully relating. But then he looked at his watch, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot. I got, a, I got my long run for this training for the marathon tomorrow. I got a 15-miler. I got to get up at 5 a.m. So, of course, he had to cut out of, the, out of the party, the celebration for his younger brother. Of course, he was apologetic. I'm so sorry. And genuine. But, you know, just kind of had to arrive early and, uh, or arrive late and leave early. So, a um, couple other things. Luke's father. Luke would say, my dad taught me a lot of wisdom growing up. A lot of wisdom. And I had a front row seat, he would say. I had a front row seat to the lesson that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give. I watched my dad model that. He sacrificed big time for this family. And I believe it. I really do. I really do believe that it is better to give than to receive. And so let me just wrap this up by saying Luke is a really good guy. And you know what he would say to you, to his family? Hey, if you need anything, call me. Let me know. I'll do anything for you. He always says that. Hey, man, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Just let me know. So where did Luke get his nickname? Let's go there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to throw it up on the screen, verses 15, 16, 17. Jesus said, I know that all, he says, I know all that you do, and I know that you're neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. Oh, Luke. That's where you got your name. Being lukewarm. You're lukewarm. And Jesus said, because you are neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you from my mouth. Ooh, that's harsh. I want you to think of eating a bowl of cereal with lukewarm milk. That's kind of the, oh, God, or drinking a cup of coffee. It's not cold brew. It's not hot. It's lukewarm. It's just kind of like, ugh, right? It's like that reaction, I think, that God has. He wants us to either be all in or make a decision and say, I don't believe in you. I'm not, I'm not in. But what Jesus is saying to many followers is, you're lukewarm. And that's where Luke gets his nickname, lukewarm followers of Jesus, is the casual Christianity brand of faith. It's faith in moderation. 
It's low risk, low commitment, low sacrifice faith. Here's the way I would say it. It's the kind of faith that allows us to come as we are and stay as we are. That's what Luke is all about. That's the kind of Christian Luke is. Don't in, like nudge me to change or be transformed. I believe I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Now I'm just going to live my life because I'm not here for a long time, but I'm here for a good time. Now, I'm not immoral. I'm not hurting anybody else, but I have this kind of faith in moderation. Now, I want you to hear me out. As I read scripture, I would say that God the Father is not about to fly off the handle and zap Luke or zap you with lightning. But I think God the Father looks at Luke and looks at those of you that are Luke's and, and feels a sadness, a sadness. The Father can see what you and I can't see, that there's so much more, so much more fullness of life, more love, more joy, more impact, more growth, more contribution, more contentment, more fruitfulness that God has for you, and less, less stress, less confusion, less loneliness, less frustration, less fear, less debt, less insecurity, less exhaustion, less self-inflicted pain, because God the Father's ways work. There's a great little parable of the soils that you might be familiar with. I think Luke is found in the third soil. Matthew 13, verses 22 and 23. Here's the explanation. The one sown among the thorns represents one who receives the message, but all of life's busy distractions, his divided heart and his ambition for wealth result in suffocating the kingdom message, and it becomes fruitless, not fruitful, fruitless. But what was sown on good soil, the rich soil, represents the one who hears and fully embraces the message of the kingdom. Their lives bear good fruit, fruitfulness. And some, uh, some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was sown. Verse 22 is Luke. All of life's busy distractions, his divided heart and ambition for wealth result in a suffocating of the kingdom in him. It's fruitless. But God's dream for Luke is verse 23, to embrace the message, to live it out, to respond to it, and to bear fruit that's 30, 60, 100 fold. And you can't do that on your own. It's God multiplying the impact and the influence of your life. Be fruitful has to do with your integrity. He's going he's gonna to develop fruit of character, but he's also going to develop fruit of influence and impact, using your life to touch, reach, and influence others. One more quick passage, really quick. It's the passage at the end, after the resurrection, at the end of uh, John's gospel. Peter has denied Jesus. He let him down. We would call him a coward. He denied him three times. And now after the resurrection, Jesus shows up on the beach. And notice that he doesn't scold him or shame him. But he invites him to breakfast on the beach, which in the first century 
is equivalent to, Peter, I still love you. We're family. Regardless of what you did, I still love you. I forgive you, and we're family. And then here's the story. First John 21, 15 to 17. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I want you to notice and pay attention to the three responses of Jesus after Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What, is, what does Jesus say back to Peter? He says, get back to church and sing louder. No, he doesn't say that. He says, okay, Peter, it's time to start getting up at 4 a.m. and memorize the book of Leviticus. No, he doesn't say that either. What does he say? Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. What's he saying? Wait, what? He's saying, it's time. If you've been a Christian for three years, for five years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years you've been in the church, it's time to start feeding other people, to discipling other people, to living beyond yourself. What Jesus is saying to Peter is life is not about you. It's time to start helping somebody else grow in faith. Go and make a disciple. Go and care for and feed others. Be faithful and watch your life become fruitful. And I'm just going to say, if I, I've met, I know many of you have been in church your whole life, and you've never, ever helped another person grow in their faith. That makes you Luke. That makes you the middle son. That makes you a person that's stuck in lukewarmness. And God the Father loves you. It's not a message of guilt or shame. He loves you. You're missing out. You're settling for a lukewarm life when Jesus has so much more for you. So let me ask you this question. Let's put that painting back up on the screen. And as it's up there, I want you to hear God our Father saying to you, there is so much more, so much more fullness of life and fruitfulness for the Lukes who are listening today. I invite you to come out of the shadows of a lukewarm faith and into the light. Get on your knees and get into the light of the Father's love and a more fruitful life. Amen. Let's worship God together as a response to what we've heard. How is God speaking to you? And what are you going to do about it? Amen. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. 
For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.